Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Okay, Okay, so we're talking about freedom. Freedom from technology. Yes. I'm pretty sure I could talk loud enough, but we have a live stream. So... Um, so we're talking about freedom this month because July 4th, which is freedom for our country, which is great, but we're going to talk about freedom that we have in the church. And so I'm going to talk to you today about freedom from your past. And um, so I have to, to say to Peter that next week he's going to talk about freedom from sin. You really can't really separate these two very well. So you're going to get a double dose, which is excellent because we could all use it. I started to listen to his teaching and then I thought, oh, no, it's going to stop me from doing what I want to do. So <laughs> sorry, Peter. Um, so last uh, week or so ago, my husband and I had the opportunity to go to Nashville. And one of the places we visited, which was really amazing, was called... Um, Nash Vegas. No, it was the Johnny Cash Museum. If you don't know, some of uh, Nashville has become um, rivaling Las Vegas, which you can only imagine what that looks like. But in the midst of that, I, we got to tour this um, museum. So I'm going to talk about Johnny Cash for a minute. And what I didn't know a lot about Johnny Cash. I mean, I knew his songs, Walk the Line, and Ring of Fire, and Hurt, and he has... I don't know, we looked at the wall with all of his albums on I had no idea he had that many albums. He actually was born to a very poor family, and they were very devout in their faith. And one of the things that, that carried them through some really rough times was m- music, gospel music and hymns. And Johnny Cash was very impacted by that. But he actually was born J.R. Cash, uh, that was his name. He, after high school, he joined the Air Force. And when he joined the Air Force, they said, that's not a name. Pick one. And so he picked Johnny. I thought that was kind of interesting. Got to pick a name. So his name is Johnny. And while he was in, stationed in Germany, he bought his first guitar. And even though as a young, at a young age he had been writing music, he'd written his own gospel music and hymns, while he was in Germany, he formed a band, and they played music. And when he got out of the Air Force and he came back to the United States, he auditioned for Sun Records. But what he auditioned with was hymns. He wanted to have a gospel album. And Sun Records went, that doesn't sell. Go back, write something else, and come back when you've got something that I might be able to sell. So Johnny Cash did that. He came back. Uh, his first song was Hey Porter which if you know any country music, that's kind of cool. But his faith, his religious background was tied all through his career. He maintained the determination to record gospel music. And um, as he became famous and popular, he eventually succeeded in adding a spiritual to almost every album he ever recorded. One of his albums called The Holy Land He actually went to Israel and did audio while he was in Israel to put on to um, his Holy Land album. But you all are going, Johnny Cash, Kathy, really? Yeah, he's got a dark side. 
and his womanizing, his alcohol abuse, and his drug addiction was renowned. Um, it, it was a better part of his career in the beginning. In his book, he, um, he wrote a book, uh, Man in Black, and in his book, he says, I considered my problem personal until I was arrested in 1966. After a night in jail, the officer came to me, let me out, shoved my pill bottle at me and said, go on, take them and get out of here. And Johnny Cash says his remarks cut me to the bone because the jailer had related how him and his wife had all of Johnny's albums of hymns. And as he walked out, the, um, the officer said to him, do with your life what you will, whatever you want to. But remember, you have free will to kill yourself or be saved. In 1971, <clears throat> which is several years later, Johnny Cash did give his life, recommitted his life to the Lord. And he continued to follow the Lord, even though he continued to struggle with drug addiction. In <clears throat> the 70s, he was a regular at Billy Graham's Crusades, singing hymns. He, um, he, the two of them, Billy Graham and, and Johnny Cash, maintained a friendship throughout their lives. Billy Graham said of Johnny Cash that he's one of the greatest men I've ever known. He actually became an ordained minister in the 70s, in the late 70s. And the last song that Johnny Cash recorded in um, 2003, well, he would, the last song he wrote in 2003 before his death was My Lord Has Gone. He hadn't developed the melody, so he didn't get a chance to record it. You know, addiction <clears throat> is not my soul, <laughs> my soul uh, teaching today. Johnny Cash, I don't know. Uh, the one thing I forgot to tell you is that um, at the age of 12, Johnny Cash's older brother, um, 14 years old, died. And Johnny Cash constantly, his, 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 in his memoir, he talks about how that affected him in his entire life. Now, addiction, you know, some of us would say, well, I don't, I don't have that problem. Maybe you're not addicted to alcohol or drugs, but there's lots of addictions, right? I know for me, my caffeine in the morning or my phone. For some of you, it might be work or you know what addictions are. There's lots of them out there. My ex-husband, and I wasn't going to talk about this, but my husband, my ex-husband was addicted to the same kind of thing that Johnny Cash was. Now, I don't know Johnny Cash. I didn't know him. And the little bit that I gleaned from his, uh, his um, museum didn't actually tell me. I couldn't look into his eyes or ask him questions. But I knew my ex-husband. And what drove his addiction was not being able to let go of the past. The hurts in his past kept him locked in that addiction. And that may not be the same for you, but it is a very real struggle for a lot of people. And I wondered as I was standing in that museum if Johnny Cash hadn't quite gotten over his brother's death or who knows, the countless other things that have happened in his life. 
I read this quote by Jen Wilkin. Everyone has a past. Some have logged spectacular moral failures, while others have managed to confine sins to less horrifying categories. The longer we know Christ, the more we come to realize that all sin, all sin is spectacular when measured against the plumb line of God's holiness. All sin is spectacular, is, is a spectacular exercise in self-focus and self-worship. I started to make a diagram showing the list of sins because there's a lot of them the Bible talks about. <laughs> One list that gave scripture references was 83 long. Well, can't cover all of those, but so maybe for you, addiction isn't your thing. But are you ever arrogant, bitter? Do you covet? Do you have enmity, enmity with a brother or sister? Do you struggle with fear, greed? Are you judgmental? Do you lie? Have you gossiped? Complained? Murmuring is in the Bible. Are you proud? Do you slander? Do you say something about somebody that isn't nice? Are you angry? That's wrath. Are you unforgiving? Those are all sins. And they all fall short. I looked up plumb line because I tried to use one once. That was an epic fail. And actually, plumb lines, this mechanism, it's the rope with the thing that goes to the center of gravity so you can figure out how to line things up. They used it back in when they built the pyramids and things. The plumb line was an amazing thing. And actually, it had levels with the, the bubble. You guys all know what a level is with a bubble. Well, they actually had that for lots of years, but the plumb line was so good, they just used that for a long time. It wasn't until the 60s that we actually started using a level. Now, I'm not a contractor. I'm not even a good carpenter. I really am bad at all of that. <clears throat> and I tried to build this little wall in the back of my house, just a little one. It was like concrete blocks, only this high, and wanted to step it down. And so I dug out, I Googled how to do this, all right, watched a YouTube video and dug everything out, put some sand down and some, I don't know, some gravel or something. And my husband said, you gotta make sure you level it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. And so I put it on there, yeah, it looks pretty good. And then I did the next one and suddenly the whole thing is leaning. I was like, well, I leveled it. And he says, did you level every way? Oh, well, no, I didn't do that. <clears throat> So I had to redo the wall, and it's still kind of crooked, but you know, it's little, I don't care. So, <clears throat> but when we have a little sin, it sends us into a different direction than where God wants us. Because that little one and another little one and another little one, once you stack it up, you have a good bent. And it really doesn't matter whether it's little or it's big they all fall short of God's holiness. Romans 3:23 says everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from our penalty of sins. 
You know, I, I, we all fall short. We've all sinned. Somehow, though, when I read the Bible, I mean, yeah, David sinned. <laughs> yeah. And some of the, you know, it's the other greats that we think about. They all sinned. But I somehow in my head don't think about Paul being a sinner. And yet he was. In Galatians 1, this is what he says about himself. You know that I was like them, what it was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How violently, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead, my fellow Jews, in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He was a well-known murderer killing people because of their religion. So whatever you've done, pretty sure nobody in this room can claim that, right? And yet, Paul receives God's love and he says, this is what, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his name, by his marvelous grace, then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That can be said of you. If you're sitting in this room and you've given your life to the Lord, God chose you, regardless of your past. We all have a past. And... My message today really is this. It, it starts here. Things like past experiences and individual differences can create some distracting buzz and fog up the lenses through which you see the world. Your past shapes you. It is part of you. You can't really separate from it. For some of you in the room, I've got to find a young one. You, know, you don't know what it was like to be a teenager without a cell phone or the internet, or even a cordless phone. You don't know what that's like. And how that shapes you and how I was shaped is different. Our culture at the time, from when I was little, where most everybody went to church, to now who knows how many people go to church, that affects you, and it makes you, you. Those things, your experiences, the decisions in your life, the things that have happened to you, do shape you. But Psalm 32 says, finally, when you and I have confessed all of our sins, David says this, I confessed all my sins to you, stop trying to hide my guilt, and I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And yet, do we all feel guilt-free? I know that I don't. And I think there's a couple of reasons, and I want to talk to you about three that I think can stop us from really living a guilt-free life. And the first is true repentance. And uh, I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this about that. What we call asking God's forgiveness very often really consists in asking God to accept our excuses. We want him to remember the extenuating circumstances that led to what we did, 
And we go away imagining that we have repented, been forgiven, and when that all has happened, <laughs> when all that has really happened is that we've satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. Have you ever confessed a sin because you just got caught? Ever had a kid say, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Are they really? Or you try to talk to somebody and they just want to move on. Yeah, 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 let's just get past that. Let's get past it. Let's just move past that. Have they really repented? Have you really repented? Have you confessed your sin? Or have you said, well, I wasn't quite truthful. No, you lied. Or I just used that without asking. No, you stole. Are we honest about what we did? Do we say what we actually did? Confess and be honest with God. He already knows. <laughs> he knows the extenuating circumstances. He knows your excuses. I shared with you years ago um, <clears throat> about something I had a struggle getting over. Um, for some, most of you, I would think, no, already, but some of you might not. When I was 15, I had an abortion. And I, I struggled for a lot of years. Well, first of all, I didn't tell anybody. I mean, very few people knew. Kept it hidden. Then get saved. Well, I'm definitely hiding that then, right? Because I wouldn't dare share that. And I, as I was reading this quote, I was thinking about all the times that I'd ever talked about my abortion. The doctor encouraged me, I was young, my family influenced the decision, there was this, there was that. And all those things are true. But you know what the truth is? Is at 15, I knew it was wrong. And I knew I was taking a life. I lied to myself so I could do it, but I did it. And it wasn't until years later when I finally said, I am so sorry for killing that baby that I got free. Because First John says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He is faithful. It doesn't take anything on my part. All I have to do is confess. How many of you know that that's hard? To look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did that. Sometimes I, I, I'm not sure what's worse, looking in the mirror and saying you did that or telling your parents you did that or coming before a holy God and saying, I did that. The second reason I think we get stuck is because we don't want to forgive. Because really, forgiving is extending love. 
you know, I think about my ex-husband, did he, was he so bottled up with grief over his, you know, childhood? Did he not able to forgive his parents? Did Johnny Cash not be able to forgive the situation that killed his brother? You know, was it a, was it a parent issue? Was it a whatever? Or maybe it's just you can't forgive yourself. Sometimes it's the hardest person to forgive. When you choose to forgive yourself, you're doing what Proverbs says. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways you acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. You know, when you don't forgive yourself, you're saying, I know, I'm the judge. I know what's right and what's wrong, and I don't deserve it. You usurp God's authority. You put yourself above him. How quick are we to judge others? And how easy is it for us to judge ourselves? But the Bible is clear. We need to forgive ourselves. And Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit that has freed you. Sorry. There is no condemnation. I want to start there. That's what the problem is. I want to start there. There is no condemnation. Do you know what condemnation is? Punishment. When we want condemnation, we want someone to pay. And when we don't forgive ourselves, we want to pay. We want to mope around and be sad and, and I don't know. We don't deserve a good life. We don't deserve any whatever because you're looking for condemnation. God doesn't do that. <laughs> Sorry. He doesn't do that. God does not condemn you if you are in Christ Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus, he does not condemn you. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. His power frees you from sin. <laughs> I'm listening to the worship set. I'm like, okay, yeah, Peter knows what we're preaching today. <laughs> we sang, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. If you've got a burden, you might have put it on there yourself. You're carrying around a yoke that God did not ask you to carry. And lastly, we need to look forward. Now, sometimes that's hard to do, looking forward. I was thinking about, when I was preparing this, I kept thinking about Lot and his wife. You know, if you don't know the story, Lot had a wife and two girls, and they were living in Sodom and Gomorrah, which was horrible. The, the town was just depraved, kind of like Nashville. And it was, it was just, it was just seedy and horrible. And God said, I can't take it anymore. And he says to Lot and his wife, get out and don't look back. Get out and don't look back. And Lot's wife, 
looked back. What was she looking at? Was she looking longingly into her past? What are you looking at? Are you so caught up in your past that you can't see your future? You can't forgive yourself, so you just stay locked in the past? My husband and I bike ride, and I've told this before, we'll be riding on the road, and he's like, you know, can we get out in the lane to turn? And the minute I try to turn around, my bike goes right that way. I am not like Justin. Where is he? Oh, he's not even here. I mean, he can probably turn around, keep riding straight down the line. I can't do that. Because what I look at is where I go. Where are you looking? You know, when you look back at your past, what are you looking at? I guess is my question. What are you looking at? Are you looking at what God did in your past? Or are you looking at what you did? Because your testimony is, what did God do in your past? Right? That's your testimony. How are you saved? How did you come to know the Lord? That, absolutely. We look back for those reasons. We were, when we were in, in Tennessee, we visited some friends, and this, this uh, friend of ours, I didn't know his past, and he was sharing with us a little bit about it, and he told us about addiction. He had been in an accident, and then he got hooked on pills and, and was taking them all the time, and then he said, you know, just about destroyed my family, and he said, I went into the rehab center, and I was able to share my testimony and lead someone to Jesus. Your testimony is not what you did, what God did in you, what God saved you out of. So if you want to look back, look for what God did. But we need to be looking forward. Dennis Sager posted this the other day. It's a daily decision to surrender who you were and let God speak into who you really are. A daily decision. I, I would quote whoever it was, but I don't know because he just posted the thing. So. so it's a daily decision. So daily, stop retelling what you did. Stop rehearsing it in your head. I just so I... Uh, have you ever met somebody who does that all the time? You are not who you were once. You are not who you once were. And remember, it's not only you that wants to keep you trapped in your past, but we have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He, of course he's going to put in your face what you did in the past. Do you know enough scripture to tell him to back off? You should. Do you know the scriptures that say you are a new creation? Just one of them? Oh, whoops, I'm off. Sorry. I don't know where I'm at. Okay, this is what Paul says about his past. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. And he's talking about righteousness. And he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on 
to possess the perfection which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul the murderer looked forward. I don't care what you've done. The past is back. You need to look forward to what lies ahead. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, you say it with me, has become a new person. You become a new person. You're not who you were once. The old is gone, a new life has begun. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You need to say that before you go to bed and in the morning say it again. And about a thousand times during the day if you're having struggles with it. You are a new creation. Do you know the enemy says to me, who are you, Kathy, to stand up and say anything to anyone? Because you did. You know what? I am a new creation. I was bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. That means something. And then, and then we're supposed to do something. All of this is a gift from God who bought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. You've been bought with a price. You need to believe it and then go out and reconcile someone else. I listened to a, a testimony of a, a guy who was, uh, I mean, you know, we have a scale of sins. He was right up there, okay? And he was a meth addict, and he had killed and stolen, and he'd done all kinds of stuff. And, and <clears throat> he said he went, he went to a church, and he's like, I got to talk to somebody. And the guy greeted him at the door, and he's like, yeah, okay, let's, let's talk. And and he's like, tell him, I, I got problems, and I, I'm going to go get this gun, and I'm going to kill myself, and I'm going to do this. And he goes, okay, well, let me, let me talk to you about Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus. And he's like, well, yeah. He says, but your problems aren't getting you anywhere. And he said, he said, what I saw in this man's eyes compelled me because I saw Jesus in his eyes. And he went on to give his testimony, and he said he did it daily. He left the church, went out that night, got high again, came back in the morning, and was like, oh, no. And he did it continually. And do you know that the man at the church continually looked at him with Jesus in his eyes? He said, I saw Jesus in him. If you are looking back, when somebody looks in your eyes, they're going to see your past. If you're looking at Jesus, they're going to see Jesus. You need to be looking forward. Oh, oh, okay. You need to be looking to Jesus and reconcile those around you to him. <clears throat> 